Yes, it's our own version of the Hollywood Squares. We call it Midday on the Rural Radio Network. And arrayed before me, each in their own little square, uh, the people who bring it to you. All that information. And over in the Agriculture Square, we have Paul Lind. <laughs> oh, Dirk. <laughs> No, we have Joe Gangrich. Our, our best Paul Lynn before we went on the air. Then yeah. I was going to say, Jason would know this. One of his favorite bands of all time, Huey Lewis and the News. It's hip to be square. It is. It certainly that is. That it is. If you ever get a chance to see those guys, you should check it out. Even in their mid-60s, they can still bring it. Absolutely. <laughs> right. No question about it. I remember a, a Hastings, Nebraska concert where Huey stumbled out to the microphone. And uh, first words were, Hastings, do you love me? <laughs> Now, how long ago was that? This goes back a ways. Huh. I yeah. saw them a couple years ago at the uh, and they Nebraska went, State Fair. Eh. <laughs> <laughs> All right. No, Huey's great. Huey's great. Yeah, they, they do a great show. So, All thanks, right. thanks, Jason. Move it so on. Check in. them out before they head to the home. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, we'll try to bring it in ag news. Jesse will have it at 1213. Lots of discussion about crop insurance and other ag aspects in the new a budget being proposed by the president today. Also, cattlemen applauding Iowa Governor Terry Branstad's confirmation as ambassador to China. Coming up at 1219, Dewey Nelson with Dean Hefta, director at Water Street Solutions, on steering your operation toward the future. Our newsmaker today is author Holly Dufek. She talks about her book featuring a woman in ag named Casey and her adventures in agriculture. Susan will have that feature at 1245. At 117, Jesse is back with Pat Damon. He's field director for the Kansas Grain Sorghum Association. And they're talking about an EU trade team that was in Kansas last week looking at the fine sorghum that the area produces. So excellent that'll be our 117 look forward to all of that and in the sports square it's jason jorgensen well when you win a big 10 title it means you've had a good season Mm -hmm. and it means you have plenty of honors bestowed upon you and that's what happened today for the husker baseball team nebraska head coach darren erstad is big 10 coach of the year yeah first time that's happened yeah of course he's won bigger awards in his life you know with his major league baseball career but still this has got to feel very satisfying to him isn't this kind of the kiss of death? Shouldn't they do this after the season? <laughs> Not the conference stuff. Okay. Yeah, it is. Well, instead of celebrating this, why do you have to look negatively? I'm just that? saying, why not wait until after <laughs> okay. the season? I think you've got a good point, Bob. But they won the regular season title, and this deals with the Big Ten. The Big Ten. Six other players were uh, also honored. We'll give you the lowdown on that. Uh-huh. Also, former Husker forward Michael Jacobson announced yesterday he will be an Iowa State Cyclone moving on. Of course, he has to set out this year. Then he will have two years available uh, to play in Ames. And uh, touch on some NBA stuff also. Rockies continue to play very well in the National League. Royals now are back to having the worst record in the American mm-hmm. League. So. Yeah. That has not been a good year for not the boys. And in the center square with business, Bob Brogan. U.S. stocks are a little bit higher. Also, a study, here's a big surprise. CEOs got big raises last year. And if that wasn't enough, the new Dodge Challenger will cost some bucks. And let's just say it's pretty far north of my budget. <laughs> How far north? Way far north. <laughs> The Great White North. <laughs> North to Alaska. All right, it's all coming up for you today, folks, on Midday.
Ag weather, we bring in Paul Perkins to take a look at where that uh, slight chance of precipitation is. There's some out there. Yeah, it's starting to fall now over northeast and south central areas of Nebraska. Some of that activity from about Norfolk down to Albion and Loop City. And getting close to the Lexington area, also from about Kearney and Holdridge on over to right along the York area along I-80 on into the northeast part of Nebraska. So northeast into south central Nebraska, just some real small scattered pockets of very light rain, maybe just some sprinkles in some instances there. Now what's all this that I hear the North Platte office <laughs> talking about? I thought we left the word, the F word behind. Yeah. <laughs> It's not the totally up that bad for, but yeah, the frost word. Right, right, right. Frost. <laughs> yeah, they are looking at some areas of frost tonight in west central and north central Nebraska, especially as you head into those low lying areas of the Sand Hills. Today, we do have that small chance for some rain as some disturbances rotate around that area of low pressure that's dropping into Iowa. Winds today breezy out of the northwest, but for tonight, high pressure taking hold. That's going to clear the skies out, also calm the winds down. That'll allow for plenty of cooling. Now, some tricky nuances of the words here. Areas of frost expected over the northeast panhandle and parts of the northwest sandhills tonight. Just some patchy frost is possible across portions of the western sandhills, portions of north-central Nebraska, as well as the Platte River Valley in west-central areas of Nebraska. So in some of those areas, you may see some ice on the ice or on the grass in the morning when you wake up. A little yeah, bit. That'd be fun. Some patchy frost in areas of frost there. May so. 24th. Yes. Wow. <laughs> School is out and we're still getting frost. <laughs> A lot of schools, anyhow, are out now. Uh, conditions do start to warm up. They will stay dry as the ridge of high pressure moves back overhead for tomorrow through Thursday. Low pressure getting into the plains by late Thursday. But this next system going to take a more northerly track. Thunderstorms with it are possible as soon as Thursday night. We may see some thunderstorms track east off the high plains Friday into the holiday weekend, looking at those chances of thunderstorms. But this area of low pressure will track to the north of us across central Canada and the northern plains. Just some weak disturbances rotating around that low, bringing in off and on small chances for thunderstorms. Not looking at a washout for the holiday weekend. Most of the period will be dry. And a repeat of last week, unlikely since this area of low pressure will be moving more to the north and unable to tap into much moisture out of the Gulf of Mexico. So not expecting a big rain event with this system next this next week. In the long-term forecast, temperatures for Nebraska start cooler than normal early next week. Then they'll trend closer to normal the middle of next week through June 5th. And once again, that's in Nebraska starting off cooler, then warming closer to normal. Kansas more likely to stay cooler than normal the entire time Sunday through June 5th. The precipitation forecast for both Nebraska and Kansas expects near normal to just above normal precipitation Sunday through those first five days of June. Soil temperatures this morning at 7 at the 4-inch depth in the mid-upper 40s in the Panhandle and west-central Nebraska. Most soil temperatures right now in the low 50s. The warmest in southeast Nebraska and central and east Kansas in the mid to upper 50s. Weather factors affecting market trade today include more below normal temperatures in the Midwest and a warmer outlook for the Southern Plains wheat crop. Despite less than ideal spring weather, corn planting still just within 10 percentage points of the five-year average in all Midwestern states. The next few days, though, unsettled rainy weather will shift into the eastern U.S. Late in the week, a new storm will bring a return of wet weather to portions of the plains of the Midwest. Some additional rain and cool temperatures in the Midwest will delay that final planting that includes replanting 
Also, crop development a concern and could be negatively effective. In the southern plains, winter wheat showing recovery from the late April snowstorm and the recent cool and wet weather. The overall crop rating, though, still notably below the levels of a year ago. A warming trend the rest of the week will help out in the southern plains. Across the northern plains, scattered Light rain and just some warmer temperatures the rest of the week helping out their planting and early growth of spring wheat and row crops. In the southeast U.S., they're looking at the prospects of very heavy rain. It will improve soil moisture in some areas that's been very dry of late. There is, though, concern for heavy rains that could cause some flooding. All right. Ag weather with Paul brought to you by Kuhlman Repair today. And... uh I don't know. It's going to have to warm up at some point and actually let something grow, isn't it? Exactly. Well, I'm sure we'll get like maybe two days of 70 to 75 degree weather, and then we'll be about 85 to 95 the rest of the year. (laughs) (laughs) Usually that's the way it happens. That is pretty much the way it's nailed down, isn't it? (laughs) And when you need weather anytime, krvn.com. Dewey Nelson with a market update on the World Radio Network as grains have extended their losses and now we're trading on the low end of the trading range. July corn at 370 and a quarter, down four and three quarters. September 378, down four and a half. December 388 and a half, down four and a quarter. July soybeans at 950 and a quarter, down six and a quarter. August 952 and a half, down six. September 950 and a half, down five and a half. November 950 and a half down five and three quarters. July Chicago wheat 430 and a half down three and three quarters. September 444 and three quarters down three and a quarter. December 467 down two and three quarters. July Kansas City wheat 432 and a quarter down three and three quarters. September 449 and three quarters. December 475 and a quarter both down three and a quarter. Most livestock contracts, at least cattle, lower. June live cattle, 122.97, down 95. August, 121.35, down 67. October, 118.20, down 20. December, 118.35, down 27. And February's down 27 at 118.30. May feeder cattle up 10 at 144.35. The back months are lower. August feeders, 151.80, down 97. September, 151.82, down 82. October, 150.92, down 57. November, 149.05, down 35. But the lean hog trade has rebounded. June at 80.17, up 82. July, 80.40, up 32. August, 79.95, up 27. Wall Street this hour. The Dow is up 40 at 20,934. But the Nasdaq's down 7 at 6,125. The S&P 500 is up 4 at 2,396. Less than two months after General Dwight D. Eisenhower accepted the surrender of Nazi Germany, he was back in his hometown, Abilene, Kansas, to deliver a speech. The man who liberated Europe from the iron grasp of Adolf Hitler declared, The proudest thing I can claim is that I am from Abilene. The Eisenhower Presidential Museum in Abilene is undergoing a major renovation, including a new exhibit called Heart of America. You can help with this renovation and new exhibits by making a contribution to the Eisenhower Foundation. They're very close to raising their initial goal of $400,000. If that goal is met by June 6th, D-Day, the foundation will receive an additional $100,000 from the home family of Abilene. Help honor one of America's greatest leaders. 
Log on to EisenhowerFoundation.net. That's EisenhowerFoundation.net. Taking a look at agriculture information on the World Radio Network, I'm Jesse Harding. President Donald Trump's budget was released today, and Susan Littlefield has more on what people were talking about ahead of its release. House Ag Committee Chair Mike Conaway told the Associated Press it's wrongheaded to cut farm programs. Production agriculture, he said, in its worst slump since the Depression. I asked Ag Secretary Sonny Perdue about all the talk coming across about crop insurance being on the chopping block. Some people that anticipate the crop insurance may be lowered. The fact is, crop insurance has been lowered over the time. Uh, Senator Fisher and her team, her, her colleagues, have uh, we're spending less in crop insurance than we did uh, a few years ago based on good production years. So uh, I'm confident that we will understand at the end of the day when the budget is signed that crop insurance is an integral part of the safety net for our producers out there. Many say that crop insurance will meet opposition on Capitol Hill. The Ag Secretary will hold a news conference to discuss the budget later today. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. And the proposed cuts for crop insurance are meeting opposition. The National Association Wheat Growers President David Sheen from Kansas says, and I quote, NOG understands the administration is facing pressure to reduce spending and lower the national debt. However, proposing cuts to crop insurance and weakening the farm bill is not the right approach. Proposing significant restrictions on crop insurance, commodity, conservation, trade, nutrition, and economic development programs is short-sighted and ignores the needs of rural of America. End of quote. And Congressman Roger Marshall in respect to the budget proposal says and i quote while there are several precisions in which i disagree appreciate the president laying out a specific and bold budget proposal that balances within 10 years and recognizes the fiscal challenges facing our country the proposed cuts to ag programs which makes up only point Two six percent of the entire federal budget are particularly concerning to me. In today's depressed agriculture economy, supporting our farmers and ranchers is a must. Crop insurance costs on average $28 per American each year and helps ensure an affordable, reliable food source, something we can't take for granted, end of quote. He goes on to say that he looks forward to working with his colleagues in the House and Senate to prepare a final budget. And a team of manufacturers and company executives from the European Union visited Kansas May 15th through the 20th on a sorghum tour. Pat Damon, field director with Kansas Grain Sorghum Association, discusses the trade team. This was an opportunity for us to meet with a group from Spain specifically. We had a group of six. It was really a nice, diverse group. Um, We had a couple guys that were actually in the baking industry. There was a couple there from the pasta industry, oddly enough, um, looking for a gluten-free pasta. You know, of course, pasta's huge in that area. We also had a gal that her company made frozen cookie dough. 
The team visited Kansas State farmers and how to mill and bake with sorghum. More information about this trade team can be found by visiting rollradio.com. And shares of the Brazilian meat packer JBS plunged more than 30% yesterday, costing the company about $2 billion. After the Brazilian president accused its owners of insider trading as part of a bitter battle over the country's corruption scandal. That's a look at agriculture information on the Roll Radio Network. I'm Jesse Harding. Steering your operation toward the future. That's our topic today with Dean Hefta, Director with Water Street Solutions. Dean, how can we keep the farm moving in the right direction? Well, you know, as a farm leader, you're involved in a lot of day-to-day management during the busy seasons, like we're in now with planting. And you're ultimately the one responsible to make sure everything is really getting done right and in the right time frames. But there's always that bigger picture of, you know, where's the farm heading? This is really about the vision that you have for the future of the farm, where it needs to be in five years, ten years, twenty years. And it's really about that belief and commitment to the future and working on the changes and the tweaks in the business to really get things to align with that vision you've determined. The farm leader really has some unique responsibilities when it comes to where the farm is headed. I believe that guiding and steering the future direction of your farm operation is in some ways like navigating the ship's course or even driving a tractor before, you know, we had auto steer and guidance system. We're talking with Dean Hefta, Water Street Solutions. So how can we navigate that course, Dean? Well, first off, you need to know where you're trying to go and what your goals really are. Otherwise, that ship could just be drifting just about anywhere. And it's likely you'll end up somewhere that you prefer not to be if you really don't have in mind where you want to go. Worst of all, a situation where the farm's legacy doesn't continue. Solid navigational tools are really a key to let you know if you're still on the right course moving towards your goals. Now, back in the day, captains of ships would use a compass as well as other navigational tools to to chart their course when they're out on the sea to know if they're on the right path. If the ship started getting off course, maybe it was because of wind or currents, you know, they could use those tools to begin Uh, getting feedback and they could make adjustments on that feedback and by paying close attention watching those tools the captain could make sure that they're on course i believe the farm's financials you know things like forward-looking accrual projections are really necessary for the farm's captain to steer the operation you know these projections are updated as the conditions change you're always looking at what's going on right now and guiding the numbers and guiding the farm's numbers helps to make the right decisions and guide it as you move through some of those different seas. How can we make the future happen? Well, consider how you're steering your operation. How do you know the direction that your farm is going? What are the key tools that you use right now to regularly ensure and regularly track if you're in the right direction? Uh, Are you getting feedback? What is that feedback loop that the captain of the ship is getting to know when a course correction is needed? And as a leader, you're really responsible to make sure the farm has the right financial tools and the right insights and advice to guide the ship. So you also need to fully implement and integrate those tools into the decision-making process. It really comes down to it isn't just about having the knowledge or having the information. It is how do we turn that into action? How do we implement this information that we're getting? That's where the, the impacts and the success really comes from. So commit to getting the right tools in place and then build them into the way that you steer the farm day-to-day and in the long-term view. 
So, you know, if you want more information about some of the financial tools, how to use them, you know, we love talking about those things and sharing those uh, through our advisors. And if you'd like more information about this or any other topic, go to waterstreet.org or call Water Street Solutions, 866-249-2528. Today we've discussed about steering your operation toward the future with Dean Hefta, Director with Water Street Solutions. You're listening to Midday on the Rural Radio Network, and it's time to check sports with Jason Jorgensen. Hey, thanks, Dirk. Well, after leading his team to its first conference title as a member of the Big Ten, Nebraska head coach Darren Erstad was named Big Ten Coach of the Year today, and he says it hasn't been easy trying to guide Nebraska back to the top of the pack in baseball. I mean, we were ninth in the Big 12 when we took over, and obviously that didn't translate into championships in the Big Ten. I mean, there, there are been some solid teams, national seeds, college world series team uh, here that we were competing against. And, and you, know, you look at Purdue, you look at Indiana, you look at Illinois. I mean, there, there's been some tremendous teams. And to see the depth of this conference uh, from the time we've gotten here until now, I just, I'm so excited about the direction that, that uh, the Big Ten Conference baseball-wise has gone. And Six of his players also picked up first-team awards, including Jake Myers and Scott Schreiber, who were selected as first-team picks, and third baseman Luke Roskam was a unanimous pick for the all-freshman team, and Ben Miller was Nebraska's Sportsmanship Award recipient. Nebraska is the top seed in the Big Ten tournament. They will begin play tomorrow afternoon at 4 Central Time against Purdue. Former Nebraska basketball forward Michael Jacobson has settled on a new school. The Iowa native announced this week he will be joining Iowa State. Now, he will have to sit out the upcoming years of transfer and will have two years of eligibility remaining with the Cyclones. Former Kansas basketball star Josh Jackson must undergo anger management classes and apologize as part of a diversion agreement arising from a confrontation with a KU women's basketball player. Jackson was charged with a misdemeanor account of criminal property damage after a December argument with Mackenzie Calvert outside of Lawrence Bar. He pleaded not guilty in April, and his attorney said he would seek a diversion for Jackson, who is expected to be a top pick in the NBA draft later on this month. If Jackson completes the terms, that case will be dismissed. The NSAA Boys State Golf Tournament started up today at four different locations. Norfolk Country Club is hosting Class A. Highlands Golf Course in Lincoln is a site of Class B. Meadowlark Hills and Kearney is hosting Class C. And in Class D, the meet is taking place at Lake Maloney Golf Course in North Platte. The two-day events wrap up tomorrow afternoon. And as expected, the NFL this morning has made big changes to overtime play. The league's owners have voted to cut overtime from 15 minutes to 10 minutes. That's a look at sports. Have a great day. I'm Jason Jorgensen. Stay tuned. More Midday is just ahead. You are listening to the Rural Radio Network. There's a 20% chance of showers this afternoon after 3 o'clock. Mostly cloudy with a high near 61. Tonight, a 20% chance of showers after 8 p.m. Mostly cloudy, then gradually Becoming mostly clear. Four-year Wednesday sunny, high near 66, northwest winds at about 5 miles an hour. From the KRVN News Center, I'm Scott Foster. The ribbon-cutting and dedication of the Fred and Pamela Buffett Cancer Center is set for Tuesday afternoon. Former Vice President Joe Biden will be the keynote speaker. The director of the new facility, Dr. Ken Cowan, says it's perfect to have Biden participate in the event. 
I'm very pleased that uh, we're actually able to reach out to the Vice President and share with him this uh, facility and the design and the thought and the planning that went into building the facility to integrate uh, cancer research and cancer care, and he was very pleased to be part of the opening event. The former Vice President's son, Bo, died of brain cancer in 2015 at the age of 46. Biden led the White House Cancer Moonshot to enhance cancer prevention, diagnosis, treatment, and care, and is now launching his own Biden Cancer Initiative. The Nebraska legislature is scheduled to bring its 2017 session to a close this afternoon. Nebraska Governor Pete Ricketts said during his monthly radio program on Monday that predictions the budget would dominate the session came true. I want to just highlight, we've done something really unprecedented here. We passed two budget bills in one session. Nobody can ever remember that happening. You know, so, so not to say it's never happened, but just nobody can ever remember that happening. And that's because, you know, we started out, as some people reported, with a $900 million hole that we had to fill. And we did that by controlling spending and without raising taxes. And that's key. AAA says over 39 million Americans will travel 50 miles or more away from their home this Memorial Day holiday period, which is 1 million more than last year and the highest level since 2005. The spike in travel is attributed to consumer confidence about the economy, including lower fuel prices. Of those traveling, 88% will drive to their destination, another 7% will fly, and the remaining will travel by other modes such as train, bus, and cruise ship. Also with schools dismissing for the summer, more youngsters walking and biking, and even more younger drivers on the road, May becomes the deadliest month of the year for young people under the age of 18. Rose White, Public Affairs Director for AAA Nebraska, the Auto Club Group, talks about the dangers. It's very important for parents to recognize that the deadly days of summer are quickly approaching. That's the time when kids are out of school. They have freedom with their vehicles. They're often engaged in unsafe driving practices. So it's very important for parents to be observant, to be aware, and also be involved in their teens' driving practices. So please recognize that the deadliest days of summer are approaching, and this is the time of year when more kids are killed on our highways than any other time of the year. Get the latest forecasts and live severe weather reporting around the clock on KRVN and KRVN.com. From the News Center, I'm Scott Foster. A new series of books out to get kids excited about STEM and agriculture. Good afternoon, I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. Holly Dufek is an author of Casey and Friends. There's a whole series of books. The latest to come out is Busy on the Farm. And what's unique about these books is Casey is a woman in agriculture. My conversation with the author, Holly Dufek. The whole premise behind them is just introducing modern agriculture and modern farming to uh, kids and even some adults that might not know everything that goes into modern farming. Uh, and so uh, the books, we began with The Year on the Farm, and, and then after that, um, it, it goes into different pieces of equipment. And what we're really trying to do is just uh, teach kids about all the science and technology that is a part of agriculture and trying to break away from maybe some traditional stereotypes of, you know, one farmer with his tractor on his land and and kind of try to open people's eyes to see that agriculture is it's uh, tons of technology, uh, the science in it and the technology that goes into making these 
<clears throat> excuse me, pieces of equipment are are just they're cutting edge and it's amazing and and all of the different options within the ag community uh, and, and industry trying to just bring that awareness to children and so that that's the basis of of why the books are written. As a, as a mom as well as having a daughter. I love the fact that we've got an agricultural book that showcases the the main character as being a woman. Yeah, so uh, Casey, she is she is uh, one of my favorite characters, and she, in fact, some people have asked me if she's a girl. She she is a woman because we certainly uh, want to represent that agriculture, especially being a farmer. There's a lot of dangerous equipment, so we never I never wanted children to think that you know a child is running the farm. She she definitely is a woman, and um, and, and Casey came about kind of in an unusual way. Originally, the books were uh, going to be kind of like a, a cars type of idea where we were just going to have the equipment, and it was just the world of equipment telling their story. And the illustrator, when he was showing his children some of the uh, the sketches that he was drawing up, his daughter had asked where the farmer was. And so uh, from then on, we, we decided right away our team, were, we, we figured we definitely needed a farmer. And uh, we really wanted to reach girls because we felt like uh, stereotypically boys, young boys love big equipment uh, and farms, uh, farming equipment. And so uh, we were really trying to reach and engage girls as well. And, and uh, having a woman farmer, that was one way to do it, but also then to bring awareness to even little boys that women are a, a major part of the agricultural industry and, and to bring that about as well. So it was kind of a twofold uh, uh, thing that we were trying to do by having our farmer a woman. And I love, you know, the book I'm looking at right now as you're talking is uh, Busy on the Farm. And the I love the earthworm. That follows along with Casey. I love that you the the science and the technology of it, um, with utilizing the Case IH and the and the Case tractors, showing the baler and step by step how it picks up the the hay that's being picked up off the ground, how it gets turned into a round bale. I think what a great way to educate even those in ag who might not deal with hay and round bales. Say, oh, so that's how it's done. Yeah, and so and so the series really is each book within the series is kind of dedicated to either a particular type of piece of equipment or uh, equipment that is, works together to do something. As in, like our planters and cultivators, there uh, we include uh, tillers, tillage pieces of equipment, and then planters and things like that would that would uh, specifically deal with growing crops. And for Busy on the Farm, we have uh, our balers, because this is focusing now on our hay and forage operations. So we have our balers and our, our utility tractors uh, that work together. And and what we try to do is, you know, I when I research for each book, the information that I get is extremely technical. So I feel like uh, I try to write so that I could understand it. And that's how uh, the sketches and the the writing and the processes all come out is uh, I try to not dumb down the information, but make it simple enough that uh, a 
an eight-year-old can read it, process it, and learn something from it. As you look at these books and as they get into the hands of kids, besides the reaction of girls can't be farmers, what are some of the reactions you've gotten from folks, young and old, as they've looked at the, at the books? Well, I, I really love when I go to do readings in schools and libraries. I love the excitement and the pride that I see when I'm reading to children. You can check out the entire Casey series in agriculture through Octane Press. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. Next, we talk with Joe Teal at Great Plains Commodities about the livestock futures trade today. Joe? Yeah, it was kind of a quiet day and a little bit lower in uh, cattle and uh, um, for the most part uh, higher for the uh, hogs, but uh, pretty quiet. We didn't really have any... uh, Big news other than the coal storage report yesterday, which uh, indicated uh, some drawdown again on uh, uh, red meat, but uh, poultry, boys, we're putting some uh, poultry away in the coolers. But uh, we really didn't have any uh, uh, trade developing in the cattle, and uh, uh, cutouts at noon were lower and uh, on, on light volume once again. So a little bit disappointing, and uh, uh, we reached some areas where uh, there was going to be some resistance, and uh, we failed. We tried early. We opened higher, tried to uh, rally, and then uh, kind of slipped uh, during the rest of the day. Same for the feeders, basically following the same pattern. Just the feeders a little bit more uh, selling uh, uh, as we had one triple-digit loss in the uh, August cattle. Over in the hogs, uh, cash seemed firm uh, this morning, so uh, after uh, uh, breaking early, uh, they came back uh, closing uh, higher, except for the uh, July contract, which only closed two cents lower, so uh, cutouts uh, a little bit better, and uh, that helped uh, maintain uh, the the rally after uh, the uh, lower opening, so kind of a mixed day in the uh, livestock and and, um, quieter than we have been lately. Thanks, Joe. Joe Teal, Great Plains Commodities. Total cattle slaughter so far this week, 231,000, 1,000 more than last week. Dewey Nelson reporting. Last week, a trade team from the European Union visited Kansas. For the Rural Radio Network, I'm Jesse Harding. On the phone with us is Pat Damon. He is the field director with the Kansas Grain Sorghum Pat, why don't you tell us a little bit about this opportunity that you had to host this trade team from Europe. This was an opportunity for us to meet with a group from Spain specifically, um, a real diverse group. Spain's a unique country. It's a lot like America in terms of people are concerned about, you know, their health more now than than other parts of the the world and and so on. So they were here looking at grain sorghum specifically for the health benefit, trying to move away from some of the gluten products that they're used to there in Spain and, and look at what sorghum has to offer us. With this team from Spain, what were some of the people that were able to make it up? We had a group of six. It was really a nice, diverse group. Um, we had a couple guys that were actually in the baking industry. When we think about breads, our breads are different than their breads. You know, they have a lot of baguettes, a lot of more like rolls or biscuits kind of thing. Um, there was a couple there in the pasta industry, oddly enough, um, looking for a gluten-free pasta. You know, of course, pasta is huge 
in that area. We also had a gal that her company made frozen cookie dough. It was quite a diverse group, a lot of questions in a lot of different areas, you know, being people were covering such a wide range of, of products, uh, each one had specific interests. So yeah, it was a great diverse group. What are some of those things that you work through them and show them when they do come here to the United States to visit? It's always our goal to show them the whole process. You know, we'll bring them to a rural farm setting, you know, visit with actual producers. They always like to see how people live. Um, they like to see the equipment that we use. They like to see the towns that we live in, even the schools where our kids go to school. So it's nice to, for them to see how agriculture directly impacts all communities in Kansas and, and of course, in Nebraska the same way. So um, they like to see how we live. They like to, of course, eat. Everybody likes to eat. So, that, you know, they're really interested in, in how how our lifestyles are, more or less. So we also spend a lot of time with K-State and, and some uh, baking programs with this group. Took them to a couple flour mills. One specifically is flouring sorghum. When you have different trade teams coming into the United States, coming out and talking with you, what are some of those main questions that they typically seem to have? A lot of it is they don't understand how large agriculture is in the Midwest. You know, when you step on a farm and they might have 3,000 acres, that's just mind-blowing to them. You know, the rest of the world, I guess we could say, is, is relatively small. You know, China, for example, a farmer theirs, they probably farm a half an acre. By hosting these different trade missions, what do you hope that this will be able to gain in the long term? What we're trying to do is we're trying to develop a relationship with consumers abroad. We don't want a one-time flash in the pan. We want a long-term relationship. We want a reliable market um, that we can build for our producers. You know, if, if we can if we can start these relationships and, and have them come back year after year after year, that's our main objective. We've been talking with Pat Damon. He is the field director with the Kansas Grain Sorghum Organization, talking about Spanish-European Union trade team that was able to visit Kansas last week. For the Roll Radio Network, I'm Jesse Harding. Dewey Nelson on the Rural Radio Network. As we saw a day today of lower grain prices with us, John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniels Ag Marketing in Chicago and publisher of the newsletter This Week in Grain. What led the way today? Well, obviously the state of Minnesota, the state of Iowa are in fantastic shape, at least in the eyes of the USDA, and I think that's uh, you know going to take a lot of the premium out of the markets. That combined with... You know, the price we saw yesterday, that uh, 77, 377 on July uh, corn markets, and that uh, represents a pretty good value relative to where we've been the last six months. So we probably will put the, you know, the honest on farmers selling, uh, a little bit of, of covering by the longs, and then, uh, you know, just some funds trying to jump in the short side, thinking that the crop looks good. In soybean trading, too, it kind of reflected just a lack of buying interest and uh, kind of the same old trading range, except maybe soybeans trying to bust out. Yeah, I, I don't know. Beans feel a little heavy to me here. I, I you know, you're thinking that uh, the story is going to be um, bullish, bullish to the upside here. I, I, I worry that we're going to pop through this 940 level once we start to get into these conditions. I mean, I, I, I can't really hang my hat on conditions at this point. The USD has to start to come around and admit to it. And if, if they're not, I mean, I'm essentially fighting City Hall. So, you know, the, the 
the weaker weaker trade is to the downside. I imagine beans, um, you know, have a move down to those low nines at some point, uh, given that we've we've had you know corn not really move on the weather it's had. I, I doubt you're going to see beans do it as well. And in my opinion, I think the 30th report probably looks at uh, uh, something even you know bigger as far as acreage goes. So that carrier number continues to grow, um, and we don't have a lot of data here that's going to be changing the trend in the short run. So and at this point, uh, a lack of heat and a lack of a dry out really kind of leaves the trend in place. The trade uh, really doesn't believe rain t- or too much grain, too much rain makes pain. And in spite of a rainy seven-day forecast for some parts of that corn and soybean belt, yeah, I'll, I'll be really interested to see. So Tuesday of next week, we'll get we'll get the conditions reports, which will be a full nationwide survey. Uh, we've been getting state by state, but I kind of wonder how how thorough those are. Illinois made a ten percent jump, and it's good, to ec- excellent last week. And I just I, I'm baffled of how it would have even happened. Uh, the planning pace is right on, according to them. But you know, I wonder how much of that is. Uh, you know, needs to be replanted. So at this point, I'm more of an acreage bull. I think if you're going to get a corn move, it's got to come from that 30th report. And so probably look to chop here another month and then maybe rally to that and, and see what the USDA has to say. It'll be interesting just for tomorrow's sake, too. Thanks, John. John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst, Daniels Ag Marketing in Chicago. Go to DanielsAgMarketing.com. Dewey Nelson reporting on the Rural Radio Network.